Welcome to The Boneyard. This is a podcast about Mythgard. This is episode one, The Phantom Beta. My name is Flake. I will be your host, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Mark Theus. Yes, indeed. Thank you, Flake. And this is the debut episode of The Boneyard. And uh, we want to start the show by thanking our sponsors, Team Rankstar and Inked Gaming, and, of course, all of you wonderful listeners for making this podcast even possible. Yes, and today's episode, we will tackle the end of Mythgard's alpha stage. We'll have some discussions about color and color identity and go through some of our own favorite decks to play moving into the upcoming beta. Absolutely, and we'll also be welcoming our first guest to the show. He is the newly minted community manager for Mythgard, straight from Rhino Games himself, Leo. And we'll be chatting with Leo about some of the burning questions of the future of Mythgard and answering questions from you, the Mythgard community. Now that you're all set up, let's just play the music and enter the Boneyard. All right, again, this is the first episode of the Boneyard, so you probably don't know necessarily who myself or who Mark are. Um, My name is Flake. I have been involved with CCGs uh, for 20 years now. And I mean, my experience stretches from Lord of the Rings, Pokemon, Star Wars, uh, Hearthstone, Magic, Gwent. I mean, it kind of goes all over the place. And now Mythgard. And I am really, really enjoying this game. So uh, I figured, you know what? Why not have a little podcast about something you like? Mark, tell them where you're from. I am uh, have been in the community for 21 years. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I've also been playing uh, CCGs for a very long time. Got started in Hearthstone. Uh, many moons ago, competitive Hearthstone, moved on to uh, Gwent and then got into Magic. And then here I am with Mythgard. Uh, Flake and I both members of Rankstar as well. And uh, I think we were both enthralled by how great this game was, even for the first. I remember the first week you and I both started playing. It was just like, wow, this game is like it's only an alpha. <laughs> that was so well, shocking to us. That's 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 part of it. I mean, I know you're the one who introduced it to me, and I remember that you would play it on stream occasionally, and I'd kind of have uh, you on on the sidebar while I'm sort of doing other things, and I was just watching it. I'm, and and what's interesting about Mythgard is the fact that you can kind of pick up more or less the basic mechanics of the game. I mean, if you're a CCG player uh, like Magic or Hearthstone or whatnot, you can kind of just by looking at the board, you're like, all right, that's the health total. This is the board. These are what creatures do. These are the numbers associated. There's not much new to the game. But what it does, in my opinion, is it takes a lot of the best elements from various different games, be it the mana mechanics, the lane mechanics, the creature mechanics, etc., and kind of weeds out some of the 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 issues with them and fixes them. Uh, and uh, what you have left is a, a pretty clean card game uh, that we call Mythgard. And uh, yeah, Mark, the, you're the one who introduced it to myself, uh, so I guess you're the elder statesman amongst the two of us <laughs> when it comes to it. Yeah, you are I'm- the. Pro- I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still like, tr- you know, getting into it and learning all the ins and outs. And but I, I think what grabbed my attention first was that it it was a completely brand new thing that wasn't based on any other game that already existed. You know, Hearthstone is based on World of Warcraft, and Gwent's based on The Witcher, and uh, Magic. Well, Magic is its own thing as well. But uh, but, but I think Mythgard uh, was just it just grabbed me with like this is such a unique story, and the tutorial, which is the first chapter of the story, was also pretty interesting. And uh, the mechanics of like, I, I kind of describe when somebody asked me, what is this game like? It's like, it's kind of all the card games you've already played put together into one game is how yeah. it feels. You know, it's got like, lanes, it's kind of it's got land, kind of it's got a mana system, you know, it's like all put together. 
And what's interesting uh, about this game is that, like you said, it kind of distills away a little bit of the the problematic aspects of games. For instance, um, the colors and the color mechanics regarding the game, be it uh, you know as a mana uh, as a mana system, burning cards. There's there's no there's no land system. There's no automatically generating mana. Uh, the economy of how you sort of evaluate your cards and how you plan out your turns is very, very, very vital to uh, your path to success. And that's mm-hmm. one thing that I really, really enjoyed it. And Mythgar right now has been in alpha for, I don't, th- I, I don't know exact dates. And this is something that's on me for not knowing this. It's but almost a year. I believe, I believe it's like almost a year. If I remember. Yeah, it, yeah. It's been around for longer than you think. Uh, yeah. The exclusivity of playing it, however, has sort of, only recently been expanding um but i mean they're finally ready to drop into beta and being new to the game and immediately appreciating uh the the gameplay but also recognizing like you said um the elements of the game like the lanes the the land uh the mana system etc i mean it kind of borrows a lot of elements from other games but tears away and weeds out some of the problematic aspects for instance i mean you know, land system in magic is is always going to be something that well, it's brutal when it doesn't work out for you, right? Yeah, and that's something that you'll you'll have to live with. It's it's a it's a kind of a, a hindrance on both sides because you're both going to have to suffer through the same problems. But I know how you feel uh, when it comes down to getting land screwed or land flooded. Oh, the worst. In this case, I mean the 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 colors and the color identity of the game you're sort of having to figure out how you're going to plan your turns out by burning cards going forward and one thing that i'm very much pleased with this game is that collection is not necessarily going to uh equate to success and i don't know what your experience is with this mark but i found that if you're playing a, a better if you're playing smarter and playing more synergistically and planned out and more methodically than your opponent, then collection is rarely going to factor into your wins. Obviously, if you have if your opponent is playing, you know, if you're playing just commons and your opponent is playing uh, a, has a full collection, it's going to be a tougher road to success. But sure. uh, uh, I mean, what has your experience been in terms of playing against those whales who have, you know, a collection of of just mythics and golds? Yeah. Whereas <laughs> you're trying to to sort of snake out a uh, uh, a free-to-play account hoping to get some some victories out with uh your your cheaper cards no you're absolutely right and and uh i mean you could still get you talk about land screw i mean you could still get mana screwed in the sense of if you're playing multiple colors and you never pull the gems that you need for a specific color you know you could you could end up getting screwed in that way but it's uh it, it's you could you could play a mono budget color deck and pretty much go toe-to-toe with someone who's just shoved all these mithril cards or gold cards into their deck uh, because your deck might have more synergy than theirs, so it's it's kind of an interesting where interesting mechanic where your your skill level is actually way more dependent than just oh I have bigger cards than you, and that's something that's a little bit different than other card games that rely on RNG or that rely on having uh, larger rarer cards in order to win. Yeah, no, strategy is definitely uh, is a bigger factor than you know playing against the the wallet decks as they're called you know yeah. where you're you're constantly outclassed because very rarely are relevant cards going to be printed in the common or the uncommon slot usually it's just pack your deck with as much rare bombs as you can and then you kind of soldier your way to a victory that way yeah. and that's one thing that myth uh, that mythgard has taught me is that 
and and I will definitely I will definitely give credit where credit is due. Someone was in my stream about a week ago or so and just said, you know, you you keep complaining about every time your opponent plays a mythic, but you're in a position to win. Like you can play yeah. around these things, you can deal with them. So just stop blaming, <laughs> stop blaming your losses and your misfortune on 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 expensive cards. Just play the game and do it. And I was like, damn it, he's right. Like he's absolutely right. And then you come up with some interesting you know deck ideas and, and really uh effective synergies and then you just stomp on these people who are just dropping uh bigger cards and it makes you feel better honestly i think that there's a, a real sense of of i hate to say this sense of accomplishment but when you're playing with a cheaper deck and you just out pilot your opponent like that is Feels the, good that that's the payoff man yeah. that is absolutely the payoff well it's you know it comes down to unit placement i think because that's the or creature placement you know, what do we call them creatures <laughs> creature place creatures minions uh, units. <laughs> this dudes, game has one, so well, dudes so it, it's so important to i mean that's when we're talking about how you beat out a deck that's mithril or gold heavy i mean if your placement was better than theirs you know you set up for success and they didn't because they thought they were just gonna steamroll you and powerhouse you with bigger cards like well you know, I put blockers in better places. I put attacking in better places. I put my enchantments in better spots. You know, it's uh, it's so important. And that's such a I'm even still trying to get used to that mindset and that mechanic. And I think you and I are a little bit used to that when it comes to, you know, because we came from Gwent. Gwent was very important about unit placement as well and where you put things and how you put things there. Uh, you know, the order at which you place them down. So I think we kind of have a little bit of getting used to that mindset. But it in this game, it's so much different because there's only one large lane and uh it, it's just a different mindset of of where to place things and it's so important to know where and when to put something down that's correct i mean planning and you know establishing your strategy um this is very much a game where you have to think two three four turns ahead especially yeah. not just from the the perspective of where is my opponent going to play where do i have a free lane is it better to be aggressive it is better to be defensive but also in in economizing your 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 mana pool and making sure that you know i need to be able to play uh a you know a harvester a three yellow card on the proper turn on turn six and if i'm not burning these cards that means i can't play these cards i have to burn them instead you know there's a lot of foresight that you're going to need in order to get to these uh to these positions oh yeah that's the do i do i burn it now or save it for later question is always tough i mean burning a card recycles it back in your deck anyway but it's still like that big burning question sometimes where you're like you're right on the cusp maybe of being able to play that card in one more turn but then it's like Oh, but I'm going to get killed now. So you got to decide, do I burn it now or do I keep holding on to it? And that's always a tough decision. And this game yeah. is a little bit brutal when it comes to uh, you know, I, I've been punished hard by just simple little mistakes. And that's something that's that I actually do like, though, because it uh, that's something I've always complained about with other games is that I can make 10 mistakes and I still won the game like that doesn't seem fair. So this is way more punishing for a little mistake. And you might have just screwed yourself for the rest of the game. Absolutely. And, you know, missing that one point here, that other point there of doing uh, sequencing your moves in the right order is always going to be something that you need to do to optimize uh, every single turn, because it might come down to it where one point matters. And, you know, you've won by one where you've hung on by one life and just had that extra turn to to convert uh, a bad situation into a win. And uh, I want to talk real quick, Mark, about colors and color identity. And Mm -hmm. Mythgard has the the luxury or the 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 vast library of cards that spans over six different colors and i want to ask you mark uh, in your experience have you 
found that any color is particularly identified to any types of archetype, be it control, aggro, mid-range, uh, you know, more technical, more creature-based. What has been your experience with uh, colors and the identities that they represent? Sure. Well, the first important thing I think is to to know that the uh, color identities also relate to a different uh, myth and pantheon, which is really cool. You know, you have a uh, blue, which is uh, Norse, and you have uh, the red, which is like Greek and Roman, and you have, uh, uh, I believe, green is more like uh, Eastern European and things like that. So it's it's really cool how uh, each color kind of has that really unique identity that I haven't seen in other games. Uh, but yeah, when it comes to what you're saying about what color is aggro, what color is this? They're kind of like all a mix a little bit. I think red you would probably label as your aggro situation, but there's also, you know, a way to be very aggressive when it comes with blue and green. Uh, you can also get really aggressive with orange. So, like, it doesn't just hold it to that. I think um, uh, if you go with just a mono deck, sure, you're going to have a, it's going to lean more towards one side. If I went mono red, it's probably going to lean way more towards aggro. Uh, if I went to mono yellow, it's probably going to lean more towards control because there's a lot of bigger control uh, units over there but then if i mix red and yellow together now i've got a now i've got more of a mid-range deck going on so um you know i played a lot of blue and green with uh canine cards and that was a very big ramp deck so uh it's really just finding like how i approached it was i know i'm an aggro player and i know what uh which pantheon i like the most <laughs> so i kind of just went with that uh so i've been rocking like a, a mono uh, I've done the mono red thing. Mono red can get a little expensive, but I've been I've been playing a lot of actually currently mono blue uh, with the Valkyries and doing a lot of uh, biker gang stuff. And I also enjoy uh, the uh, blue green with ramping with the canines. No, those are really those are you know significant decks. Uh, I, I faced off against a bunch of them, and and like you're saying, you're right. I mean, I don't think that a colors necessarily typically uh you know exclude archetypes or 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 kind of lean heavily towards one type of archetype but when you're gonna go mono in a particular color like you said usually the best cards or the best strategies are gonna lean one way or another you could play mono red to a control style uh of play it's absolutely possible uh just like in yellow you could be aggressive with yellow but it's not necessarily going to optimize the card options for you i've noticed that uh, I've had this discussion on stream multiple times playing against red uh, as a, you know, and, and you've heard me sort of harp on it a little bit. Is you love red. <laughs> I, I very much do not love red. That is not an accurate statement, but I found that red just seems to not suffer in ways that other decks might suffer. For instance, playing against a red deck, uh, they seem to have, the life total advantage they seem to have the board presence advantage they seem to have the the hand size the card card size advantage um and they're putting pressure on your life total and and to me it's like what do they not have and yeah they're pretty pretty good <laughs> they're very good they're yeah. very very good well it's not and, just it's not just that they're aggressive but like but they also have they're also vampires so they're also they're gaining life while taking yours away very quickly Exactly. Yeah. They're giving themselves a cushion as they're sort of pressuring you to react. And if you're playing slower, if you have the the you know the the misfortune of not exactly having the right cards to start off with, uh, it's going to be to your detriment. But I have sort of uh, slowed down or, or rather honed down my deck ideas to. Uh, it started off as what can I possibly do to just crap on red all the time? So I put in every <laughs> single potential board clear 
small minion removal as I could, and that, even that wasn't good enough. I needed to sort of e- e- put more creatures uh, on the board, more dudes. But um, yeah, you can't go featureless in this, man. You can't you can't go unitless and stuff like that's not a thing in this at all. I think if you'd be in real trouble if you tried to just play spells. Oh no no no! Like and by no means was I going creatureless. Okay. <laughs> uh, but, but, but what I was doing rather was I was creating creatures that were more uh, uh, reactionary. Or okay, more- gotcha. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't have as many big boys as I probably should. Got to get that uh, alpha strike, man. That's the one. That's what beats red, oh, it's, alpha strike. It's it's key. Also, <laughs> yeah. I found that just layering the deck with like laser grids and oh, maelstroms yeah, yeah. and spider traps and, and snake traps, that is enough to make red players go bananas. Yeah, because red, if every red has a lot of ones, yeah. Oh, oh nice. it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> so I've had a lot of success playing with a, a blue and yellow deck that plays a lot of uh, lane enchantments and uh a lot of value off of your cards things like the uh i call it the biscuit but it's the uh, olama <laughs> ring yeah. and the the also the blue uh artifact that increases the strength like the, it goes plus one plus one when you're uh occupying an enchantment which oh yeah that's a good the, one yeah that's a good one. by yeah. the end of the game my entire board is about five to six uh lane enchantments and just telling my opponent like this is going to be uncomfortable for you because i have spider webs and snakes popping out of my ass like it's a whole freaking <laughs> thing and every snake that comes out is like a three three or a four four and um that to me has been awesome but in terms of actual color identity i think that every deck has the option to be relatively you know mediocre to to okay in all aspects you know be it aggro mid-range or control but some colors are always going to be associated with having their bread buttered on one side for instance red can play control but they're always going to be better off at aggro right sure but it seems more this game seems more friendly to experiment like even though like there's kind of a meta that developed with the alpha here obviously uh, and as new cards they kept you know giving out new cards throughout the alpha and now the course that i believe is complete now but uh as new cards are introduced the it would it would shift a little but i think that what i noticed is it's so easy to experiment in this game because you could you could just say well i got this blue red and let's just throw in a splash of purple now and see what happens and it's like it's okay to do that and you're gonna still have a great time even if you lost yeah, no, uh, 100% agree on that. And that's the great part about it is that when you're playing a game that uh, doesn't necessarily have any deck building restrictions, it allows you to sort of stretch out uh, your imagination to fit things. Because my first rendition of my screw red deck was yellow, red, and blue with as much board clear and small amounts of sort of minion removal as possible. And that wasn't necessarily me trying to make a tier one deck. It was me trying to work through my own anxiety of playing against red every goddamn day. So <laughs> I was just, I just made a hate an FU red deck and we went from there. So but, you should, uh, you should try yellow. Yellow does pretty well against. I love yeah. yellow. Absolutely. Yeah, if, I was, was, if I was going to identify with one of the colors, it would be yellow or blue. Those are the two that I'm very, very happy with right now. And that's my, my go-to deck right now is a yellow blue mid range slash control deck that I'm, very very happy yeah those are good and, and oh, also don't forget don't forget the uh well, we didn't even mention the, the the balance that you have to do with finding out what is the correct path and the correct power to put in your deck because those are gonna like if you put the wrong I've, I've had this mistake before you put the wrong path into your deck and and it's it's actually gonna hinder you from doing uh what your potential that you could have uh, yeah. You know, you don't always want to play. I know the a lot of people like to play the seasons, the four seasons or five seasons, whatever it is, four seasons, five seasons. 
The four seasons, like the hotel. Uh, the fifth season <laughs> the is fifth value. Season. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I always joke. There's, there's a fifth season in here somewhere. I know there is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the four seasons one is really popular, I noticed. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily work all the time. Like, there's definitely decks where I've seen that one in there. I'm like, that actually is hurting you right now because once winter rolls around, you're, you're just, your board is obliterated. So you maybe shouldn't have put that in here. <laughs> Uh, I agree, and uh, that that's this is definitely worth a, a discussion on a future podcast about deck for sure. Strategy. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's so many topics so, we can get to. It's an endless exactly. possibility, which is great. And I guess we're going to end it. Uh, we're going to sort of steer away now before we get to our first guest. Our first guest, by the way, like you, like Mark uh, mentioned at the top of the show, is uh, Mythgard's very own community manager, Leo. So we have a lot of questions for him about the future of Mythgard, what we can expect uh, in the future, as well as the beta and the community and all that but we'll get to that soon before we get to leo mark i want to ask you what are you playing like right now like what is the last types of uh, decks that you've been uh, you've been building what have you been facing and what is kind of i know that you're very much a like you're a brewer you're a deck builder uh what is kind of on the chopping block for you to, to uh, tackle yeah i've kind of been on this thing where i just go well what is this tag and let's just store every card that exists that has this tag in it and i've been kind of like on that kick so I've really enjoyed uh, the Valkyries in the story mode. So I've been, and I like the lore of that. I think it's really cool that the, the Valkyries is a biker gang. So I have been saying, well, let's just throw in all the Valkyrie cards. <laughs> now there's Valkyries in almost, in, in almost all the colors. Uh, so I did a mono blue Valkyrie deck for a while. I finally got myself uh, the mythic Valkyries and, uh, and all that good stuff. So uh, that's really powerful. And then recently I threw a splash of red in there. Cause there's a, uh, there's a red Valkyrie that's uh that turns into a, 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 a demon uh, with alpha strike and it's really brutal. So I threw a splash of that in there and it's, it's so good. It's so good. I have a great time. It's aggressive, but it, it can also be mid range if you get forced into a long game and hold its own. So I've been, I've been rocking that. So that's been uh, kind of my go-to deck right now. Yeah, there's some really interesting things. And like you said, a lot of the, the fun about it is actually discovering it. Like when you're like, Holy crap, there's a red Valkyrie. Like let's, yeah. All right, we've opened a new door into parent, like, you know, another opening of Pandora's box, just all this interesting elements get flooded through when you when you just introduce a new color to it, right? And yeah, uh, and, and the game having six colors gives you so many options. And I mean, I faced off against a five and six color deck, which oh, was a little tough. bit, <laughs> yeah. they're interesting because you do not know what to expect. You're yeah. like, anything could happen, which there's is- a There's an enchantment deck that's like that where it uses all the colors and basically plays almost all the enchantments. And it's just, it's, it, it's a long, you're buckling for a long match. It's like the Teferi of, uh, or the, it's the oh, Nexus. My Lord. It's the Nexus of Mythgard. <laughs> yeah. But at least you get a turn. That's the beautiful part. Yeah. Of it. Yes, you, you eventually get a, get a turn. Yeah. Um, what, uh, what I've been playing, like I said, uh, most recently has been enchantment related kind of mid range to control decks and, uh, yellow and blue specifically. I actually have a, uh, a shameless plug here, but on my YouTube channel, I do have a deck guide for something that I call watch your step because there's so many, Enchant, uh, enchantments on the board that really dictate where your opponent can play mm-hmm. uh, their minions. So when you take control of the board and funnel things down to where you want them, it's a lot more digestible to deal with, which is what I've been doing. And um, I mean, my little all-stars have been the Fire Dart Frog and Yahui. Those two cards in <laughs> yellow have been amazing <laughs> yeah. at just keeping the opponent's board uncomfortable at all times because trading unfavorably with the Yuhui or making the decision to sack into a, a fire dart frog and just taking damage across all three lanes has been 
so good to watch is when you're when you drop the frog and pass the turn and your opponent is like oh my god do i move do yeah. i attack do i just take it what do i do and that's the kind of game i like to play it's like oh you want to put the pressure on me well the pressure's on you you make the decisions mofo it's not yeah. on me anymore you uh you did mention laser grid there so you uh before you mentioned uh the laser grid which is good because what would happen like you play laser grid and they they take one damage every time they attack through that lane right and it, it blocks that's three correct. lanes. So you for you probably also like Maelstrom and because Maelstrom is like the opposite of that where it's a constant and it deals one damage to the other side every end yep. of your turn. The best thing to do is drop Maelstrom and then drop uh that worm that goes oh, that uh, yeah, buffs. It, oh my goodness, that's such a great combination because they can't you can't put anything around it because they their side of the board will get damaged if they try to come close to that. So it's like this unpenetrable. The Maelstrom becomes this unpenetrable force around your large unit. It's fantastic. Yeah, the I think it's the Ensnaring Serpent or the Ensnaring Drake. It, it just essentially freezes your opponent to, to those particular lanes. Uh, what I've been doing and really, really fun to do is uh, what I put a uh, laser grid on lane two and six. So it's covering the first three lanes and the last three lanes. Mm-hmm. In the middle, I've been putting that spider web that generates the oh, spider. The spider. And yeah. And anything in that middle lane is essentially has a uh, death touch. And then I put the snake, the snake pit next to the trap, uh, the, the, sorry, the spider web. So whenever I generate a snake, I move him into the middle row. So he has death touch or he has a, a, a deadly. So it's either you sit and you go through the laser grid or you bump into a snake that kills you or the snake <laughs> will just sack itself into you. It yeah. has been an exceptional strategy and on the last lanes or on the on the outer lanes i have the giant stairway so i can just put things in those two rows have them giant enormous and just start attacking through the the edges it is so hilarious to see when the entire your entire uh board is just covered with spider webs and laser grids and you're you're making pits (laughs) you're essentially making a uh a a maze for your opponent you're making like a an obstacle course for your opponent (laughs) oh yeah, it's it's essentially it was the and, failed plot for uh, yeah. uh, an Indiana Jones movie, but it is. So this is good. where I put the ball pit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like a it's kind of like a, a psychopath sort of McDonald's uh, yeah. uh, playground, right? There's just you know, and this is where the spikes come out. Yeah, and you know, there's a band playing Yankee Doodle Dandy on the side, and it's insane. Yeah. This is where we'll put yeah. the vertical net that everyone's foot gets stuck in. That's where that's gonna yeah. go. <laughs> All right, two words: trampoline. It's like that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. uh, but that's that's been my experience uh, playing recently, and I know that once uh, we get into beta, I'm probably going to be leaning towards that way again. But you know, new cards, new things, and uh, part of that, Mark, is that we're going to learn about what is on the horizon for Mythgard because we're going to be talking to none other than Leo, the community manager. Absolutely. So I am very excited to get to that. I'm sure everybody else is dying to see what is happening with Mythgard, what the plans are for the future. So this has been the first segment of The Boneyard. And when we come back from our short little break, we will be met with the community manager for Mythgard. That would be Leo. That's on the other side of the break. So our first guest ever on the podcast on the Boneyard is none other than the newly 
minted uh, community manager for Mythgard. This is Leo. Leo, welcome to the show. Hey, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. It's going well. So uh, I guess we're going to ask you a few questions. And now this is a very interesting time for Mythgard because it is coming out of alpha. It is going into a closed beta and then after that into an open beta wherein you'll have a, a, a massive influx of people. And now you are new to the Rhino team. And I guess the first question that people should know is what exactly is your role? What is a community manager? What are your duties with Rhino in regards to Mythgard? So I am uh, the community and marketing manager at Rhino. So I handle uh, managing all their social media as well as um, more marketing aspects such as like AdSense on socials, Twitter, Facebook ads, as well as other marketing efforts. Okay, and you'll be interacting a lot with the community. For instance, when you say that you're you're handling their Twitter account, when people are tweeting at the account uh, or replying to some of the posts that are made, that is going to be essentially, for the most part, you who's going to be having that interaction and dealing as uh, more of like a um, a front facing personality for the game. Correct? Uh, for the most part, yes, but. The Rhino team is very active with engaging in the community, and everyone has access to the Twitter. So it might not always be me, but for the most part, it will be. Okay, that's very interesting. That's cool. So like I said, I mean, the card game uh, has been around now for, uh, I mean, it's still fresh. It's still new. It's an alpha, right? But it is going to be moving towards a, a closed beta. But that doesn't mean that it's literally something that has been uh, you know, only on the scene for about a week or two. This is a game that has months and months, almost a year of actual gameplay and community involvement uh, surrounding it, though it has been relatively exclusive. The beta is going to change that. And I want to talk a bit about uh, the meta and moving towards an evolving meta, because we know that the like when it when it comes to a card game success that always revolves around the gameplay mechanics and the cards and keeping a meta fresh is going to involve new expansions that are going to be released. And I'm just curious to know what Rhino's plans are for Mythgard regarding uh, expansion releases. Are they going to be something that is regularly scheduled? For instance, you know, once every quarter or, or, or three times a year, so to speak? Or is it something more along the lines of, well, when we have good content, we'll release it to you, but there's no there's no set schedule. What are the intentions or sort of the the... The, the marching orders for Rhino regarding expansion sets. So for expansions, we're currently aiming at uh, two for year one. And then after year one, which starts when open beta starts, then we're looking for ideally three a year. Okay, so that is still, uh, I mean, it's it's a pretty ambitious schedule to say, you know, that we're going to do three a year, especially so that's a, it pretty much gives a four-month meta cycle for before it gets shaken up but uh just curious in terms of solo uh content as well beyond just expansions and expansion sets will there be more solo storyboarded stuff or or, or single player gameplay for instance like the puzzles or the campaign and such will there be more of those released around the same time in between the expansions how is that going to work out so there definitely will be more solo gameplay. Uh, we're huge fans of games like Dream Quest and Slay the Spire. And we have been kind of testing and prototyping some kind of similar uh, roguelike type styles with our game. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's no set schedule for 
those types of releases. And we're still kind of working on what we want to do. And then once we figure out the direction we're going, we're going to work on getting a schedule to you guys. Okay, so that's great. And and that's one thing that, you know, everybody in the community always appreciates is the fact that you guys are very forthcoming with information. You guys are always accessible and and you know, front facing when it comes to answering questions and concerns. And I mean, part of that is the fact that you're here on this show right now talking about it. So that's really, really awesome. Um, now, another part of this, and it's sort of started to bubble up a little bit here and there independently, but, uh, you know, having a robust competitive scene is really important, uh, you know, and when a CCG wants to make an impact on on the scene, so to speak, you know, like when Mythgard wants to establish itself as uh, a real player. I'm assuming that it's going to have to have a a pretty good competitive scene um, moving forward. And you know, you see other games out there that have devoted seven figures, you know, like million plus in terms of dollars for prize pools. That is a really, really ambitious way to go about it. And I'm not saying that that's something that Mythgard can necessarily do or needs to do. But what is Mythgard's plans in term uh, in terms of esports and a competitive environment? So we definitely want esports. I'm personally a huge fan of esports and a competitive environment. I think it kind of drives the game and you know creates a lot of good community aspects and interactions. Uh, right now, we have plans for both a master tier for players at the in-game or players at the highest level. Uh, to play on the in-game ladder. And we are currently working to do in-game client tournaments. That is something that is not going to be available with open beta launch, but should be very soon after that we get that out to you guys. Uh, in that meantime, we are going to continue supporting community-ran tournaments uh, any way we can. Okay, so that's a great point just in, 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 uh, in itself. The fact that there is going to be a lot of support in-game for tournament gameplay. So you're saying that when, when open beta hits, it's not going to be there just yet, but something that's down the line will be an in-game tournament uh, a structure or a, a mode where you can go ahead and, and just jump into a tournament as they occur. Is that correct? Yeah, there should be in-client tournaments that we can run uh, say incline weekend tournaments, for example, not putting anything in stone, but like we could run incline tournaments with the thing we're building. We could have community, uh, select community members run tournaments. And we can also have, you know, if you just want to play a tournament with your friends and just want to do it, you know, maybe every week, you can set up an incline tournament with that as well. So a big aspect of uh, a game developer is its relationship to the community and even more specifically with content creators. And the relationship often comes from, you know, a side of the content creators will produce content, but they'll also help with uh, balances and feedback, et cetera, and things along those lines, you know, sort of helping with the direction of the game. And now that the game is entering its beta, uh, can you talk a bit about the relationship that Rhino has had with the community up till now and moving forward, I saw that you guys just sort of launched a partnership program and maybe you guys can talk about that partnership program and what Rhino is going to be doing um, to include the community and how its relationship with the content creators and streamers is going to be moving forward. Okay, yeah. So uh, Rhino's stance on community involvement is pretty much as much as we can do given time constraints. 
Uh, every Rhino dev is extremely active on our Discord. Uh, if something gets posted in general, in feedback and bugs, and pretty much any of the channels on our Discord, at least one Rhino dev will read it within like a couple hours. So please know that like all your feedback is being read, no matter where you post it or when you post it. Uh, but for going forward for content creators specifically, we launched our partner program, as you said. Uh, it's just starting, but we look forward to having a lot of community involvement with our partners and kind of getting them to be the forefront of the Rhino community. And we're looking to support them uh, initially with free packs uh, right now, exclusive card uh, back and trim, and some promotion as well as a direct line to the Rhino dev team with a partner-only Discord channel, as well as uh, meetings every other week. Okay, so there's it's going to be an open dialogue. It's not just a matter of having a cool card back or you know just a fancy badge to throw on your Twitch stream. There's actually going to be uh, a very you know open and ongoing discussion that you guys are going to have with this. Uh, you know, with the partner community. And um, I mean, that's fantastic. And and I just want you to talk a little bit maybe about how the community has shaped the game up until now. I know that it's a lot uh, of of it is involved with, you know, slight, slight, uh, excuse me, slight tweaks to cards and balances towards the cards and the numbers and such. But what has the community done uh, up until now, let's say that has really shaped the direction of the game, um, you know, moving up till now. And, 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 you know, it, it might not be so much as, you know, a drastic change, but I'm sure that they're there sort of, you know, with a hand on the rudder steering the ship just a bit. Yeah, definitely. Um, I don't think I can point out any drastic changes, but definitely card balance is one that we always look for, uh, feedback suggestions, at least like even if it gets posted, like this doesn't feel okay, we definitely, you know, go back, take a look at it, and just re-examine uh, card balance. For but for pretty much every aspect of our game, we kind of take a open approach to feedback, and any feedback that's posted, we take a look at. I mean, even today, uh, there was some feedback about uh, kind of the targeting space and the two v two scene. And, you know, it was very easy to just look at that, talk to the dev team and, you know, kind of decide, okay, this definitely needs to be changed. So we're looking to update uh, kind of the 2v2 UI and layout in the future. And, and for those from Discord. Oh, and, and for those who are looking to get involved with the partner program, um, there are some criteria that you guys list, but I mean, it's a lot of that is merely guideline uh, for the most part, right? I just want you to talk a little bit about who specifically you're looking for other than, you know, the, the metrics that you list of, you know, X amount of followers, et cetera. What, what type of person or what type of content creator are you looking for? Uh, we're really just looking for passionate Mythgard players and community members. Uh, like you said, these are guidelines, so you don't necessarily have to hit all the boxes, or it's not as if if you hit all the boxes, you're just automatically accepted. Um, but we're looking for any Mythgard content creator that's really passionate about the game. Uh, currently, it is only going to be for Twitch and YouTubers, or any really content creators. Uh, so on Facebook Live or Mixer, also feel free to apply. Um, 
but also in the future, it could very well expand to be for people that write guides, people that have a blog, uh, just any exceptional community member that kind of wants to be out there producing any form of content and kind of wants to work with our community team to build something special. Well, that sounds really good. And, and I like the inclusiveness of it. Again, the fact that you guys are going to have, uh, you know, o- open dialogue, ongoing dialogue and, and having that channel constantly open where you guys are receiving feedback and uh, just keeping a finger on the pulse of the community. And I'm sure that you guys are going through, you know, tons of these applications as they stand. I know I submitted mine, so my fingers are crossed on that, but I'm very much looking forward to how this uh, shakes out. Um, and uh, honestly, I think that this is a very, very good thing. And for those who are interested, you guys can go check out uh, the partnership program. Just look it up. Uh, I'm sure if you're in the Discord, you guys can take a look at it as well and get your uh, applications in for that. So here's a good question. What kind of decks do you typically like to play? I mean, Mark and I usually have a little bit back and forth. He's very much an aggro go face. I'm more of a mid-range control style We're player. very on like- two separate scales when it comes to playing. Yeah, I want to know where on the spectrum you are in terms of control versus aggro. I definitely lean towards aggro. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I enjoy aggro and mid-range. I really do not enjoy playing control. Um, and But like, I also really enjoy playing tribal decks. So okay. I'll play a bunch of those. Now, there's something that we can, we can definitely get uh, on the same page with, is that I really like to uh synergize in terms of tribal and you know like here's all the snakes in the deck and i'm gonna make a <laughs> yeah. snake deck whereas mark is like no no <laughs> well, that, that, well that's it and, and which is great and it's there's a lot of it but a lot a lot of times uh, mark and i will have some arguments where he's like if it's red it's good that's my yep. rule and i'm like god damn it mark like, that's not how this works so we usually have this really interesting you know duality to us where we argue a lot but i promise you that there's no sitcom on the horizon. But if there was, you would be a recurring guest, Leo, I promise you. You'd definitely be a recurring <laughs> That's guest. That's good. Um, so the other thing I want to talk to you about is it's often a prickly point amongst sort of digital card game communities is the in-game economy and how that's balanced. And I honestly, I don't think anything can really sour community's feelings towards a game other than feeling squeezed by a particular developer. And I know that just in the grand scheme of digital CCGs, there's a lot of... Um, What's the word? There's a lot of drama going on uh, with other games because they drop instances of just slight adjustments or announcements regarding um, the economy. And then, you know, you kind of feel slighted by that company that you've been investing in. And I know that Rhino right now has various different elements of resources via essence and gems and, and uh, you know, the, the credits, etc. cetera. Uh, I want to know where Rhino stands as a free-to-play game, how open it is as well to making adjustments based on community feedback and if if you guys are just dead set is this going to be the in-game economy as it stands with like we finalized that i'm just wondering where rhino stands on that uh as of right now we're actually pretty happy with the in-game economy um that said or that being said we're always open for changes if something needs to be changed or something wants to be changed uh Nothing's like ever set in stone that we can't change it. Uh, but we're pretty happy having wild cards, crafting, daily singles, missions, and uh, the weekly chess to get uh, quite a lot of free-to-play aspects into the game. Um, another thing 
that uh, the community might not know is almost the entire team plays the live game uh, as free to play. So that kind of gets us or lets us have the perspective of like, is this free to play friendly? If you're playing free to play, how bad does this feel to get a certain aspect or to be able to be make a competitive deck? That's a really interesting perspective as well. And, and it's worth noting again, is that you guys are playing free to play accounts. So having that firsthand experience of the, the, you know, the random Johnny that joins the game and decides that he doesn't want to spend a, a single dime on it and see how far they can go. And there are other games out there uh, on the grand, you know, the grand scale of things of what is very free to play friendly versus not free to play friendly, uh, free to play friendly. And one aspect of Mythgard that I'm very happy about is that I myself, uh, I only bought the starter pack and the rest has been just grinding regularly. And after about a week to a week and a half, I was able to build a deck that I'm very happy with. Um, and also realizing that despite the fact that I might get outgunned in terms of mythics, rares, etc., like getting outgunned on terms of collection does not necessarily beat you in terms of skill or understanding of a game. So learning your deck will always trump have playing someone who is playing you know, uh, with a, a wallet deck, you know, so uh, that's really awesome. And uh, I guess the next question is, who's the best Mythgard player on Rhino? <laughs> oh, to be honest, I don't actually know that answer. You could say yourself, honestly, that would be really awesome. And we won't post oh, that on Reddit at all. Definitely not me. Give, me, <laughs> give me a week or two and I'll be there. But I've been, uh, I haven't had too much time to play. I'm just kind of getting, still getting settled into all my job duties and then uh, coming for all your ladder points oh okay the the gauntlet has been thrown down leo is coming to steal not just coming to mr steal your mmr is what we're going to call you from now on all right leo so we have some questions like i said from the community these are uh straight off of reddit which is where everybody was going and uh again for those who haven't had their question read uh, or have any future questions regarding the game, we will be, again, reaching out through Reddit and on Discord. And you guys can also tweet at myself, at WatchFlake, or uh, at MarkTheus if you guys have questions, uh, things you want to see, or, or questions that you'd like asked. Uh, nonetheless, uh, this one comes from Malvas on Reddit, and he says, Dead Man's Eyes is currently the most RNG card in the game, being a literal coin flip fiesta. Does Rhino plan to change that card or make more cards like it? So, and I guess the, the follow-up question from me is, what's Rhino's views on RNG in this particular card game? More or less the same, how are we going to go about it? Uh, we might tweak Dead Man's Eyes, <coughs> but there's no plans to remove the RNG aspect out of it. Uh, the plan is to have between one to four RNG-based cards per set. Uh, we never want the meta to be dominated by RNG, but we don't feel like RNG is in it in and itself a problem. Okay, but having, uh, I mean, there are certain games out there that legitimately sort of thrive off RNG factors where a solid you know, 33% of the cards have RNG-related elements to them, or, you know, around that. A quarter of the cards have some type of RNG element to it. Basically, RNG, you don't want RNG to dictate the wins and losses. You just want them to sort of give advantage where, you know, an advantage can be gained randomly, right? Yeah, that's about right. And like I said, we're aiming to have, like, one to four RNG cards per set, so not even close to the 30% mark. 
All right, we're going to move on to the next question from the community. This is from Forgiven12, also from Reddit. And Forgiven asks, what is the biggest quote-unquote work-in-progress feature that will keep Mythgard in beta until that feature is finished? So in other words, what feature do you guys have that's sort of being worked on that will, until that is finished, you can't have a full launch? Uh, there's a lot of things that we would want to get in before we consider Mythgard fully released. But the two biggest things are probably in-client tournaments and guilds. Uh, there's a whole lot of quality of life features and polish that would make the game feel more complete. But those two uh, in-client in tournaments and guilds are really the ones that we consider uh, need to be done before Mythgard is complete. All right, and I guess the next question would naturally be, what is sort of the timeline here? Is there an actual timeline for uh, a full game launch? I know this is very ambitious considering we're in alpha and there's still closed beta and open beta to go through, but do you guys have essentially a tentative, you know, is it, you know, Q, Q3 of 2020? Is it Q4 2020? What would be an ideal? If everything sort of fell into place the way it should, what are you guys looking at in terms of having a full launch? Uh, the only thing I can say about that is we're definitely looking at a 2020 release. All right. Well, that's pretty good in itself. I mean, having, uh, uh, an open beta start at the, you know, in the, in the later stages of 2019, get the, get the things going. And I'm glad that there is, uh, that kind of ambition to get things done and get it, uh, on the level right away. And I have one more question, this one from Tenshu, also from Reddit, uh, and we kind of touched upon this before, but he says, will Rhino host tournaments or leave that completely up to the community? Now, I know that you guys want to get dip your toes into the esports scene and you are integrating an in-game tournament, but what will be your involvement with community-based tournaments besides, I guess now, besides saying that there's an in-game tournament client? Will you guys be supporting, um, you know, in terms of advertising, in terms of talent, in terms of prize support, what is the stretch that you guys can give? Uh, we will definitely have official tournaments ran by the Mythgard team uh, with full support. In addition, we'll have sanctioned third-party tournaments with prize support and uh, user tournaments that they can make at any time for their friends or their guildmates. That sounds amazing. That is a good, good, healthy thing to hear, especially when i mean a lot of these card games it's besides the fact that it's just something you kind of play casually you know in your spare time when you have a couple minutes here and there it's there's a lot of people who really thrive to have uh you know budding competitive careers and i mean it's 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 not a stretch to say that this is these are careers that are within people's grasps and it's really good to hear that rhino is on board to not only have their own environment of competitiveness but you know to really support the community's efforts as well so uh leo thank you so so much honestly for being on this our first first episode of the boneyard you have been uh you know a, a very insightful and very eye-opening in terms of the future of the game and i look forward to talking to you further and and seeing how the game develops so cheers to you my friend is there anything else you want to say any big leaks anything amazing that you could share with us or are we gonna have to wait like everybody else uh, I think you're going to have to wait. These next two weeks are going to be extremely exciting. And uh, there's going to be a lot coming, but we're just not quite there yet.
to start leaking. That's fine with me. That is fine with me. Mark, anything you want to add or you want to toss that to Leo before we go? Uh, no, I just I'm excited for uh, to, to see an esports team develop with uh, with Mythgar. I know a lot of the community has been asking about that, and I know it's always kind of too soon to, to, to tell. But uh, I think that's such an important thing for CCGs this day is to like kind of develop a little bit of an esports scene to kind of get your face out there. So it's, it's exciting to hear that uh, that uh, tournaments are being planned. That is absolutely indeed true. Leo, again, from myself and Mark, thank you very much for appearing on The Boneyard. We will talk to you very, very soon. And uh, yeah, you can catch Leo on Discord uh, or via the Mythgard Twitter accounts. If you want to reach out, ask questions, he is available. That is what he does. He is the community manager for Mythgard. Leo, thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. And that has been the first episode, the very first episode one of the Boneyard. Mark, uh, it has been a pleasure. I think that this is something that I am very excited to be able to do for a regular, on a regular basis, rather. Absolutely. And, and uh, I mean, lots of great discussions. There's so much on the horizon that I'm excited to do. But before we get into those topics, those are going to be future topics. We yes. don't want to bust it, uh, bust it out all now. But uh, where can we see you, Mark? And uh, yeah, give yeah, us so, a little bit of a uh, So you can catch my uh, Mythgard content uh, through Team Rankstar, or uh, you can f uh, watch me on Twitch, uh, twitch.tv slash Marktheus. I stream about uh, four or three times a week uh, with Mythgard and uh, planning on doing some deck guides, uh, deck guide videos in the future uh, as well. So uh, we're kind of waiting for uh, the beta to kind of roll around so I could get those uh, deck guides rolling. And uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at MarkTheus and uh, send me all your questions you want to hear on the next uh, Boneyard episode. Yeah, that is uh, where you can find Mark. I myself stream live every week at twitch.tv slash watchflake. You can catch me on Twitter as well at watchflake. Send me all your questions, your comments, whatever you have, as well as uh, any ideas that you have for future guests or future content here on The Boneyard. I want to give another big thanks to our sponsors, Inked Gaming and Team Rankstar. And of course, to our first guest, Leo from rhino the community manager for mythgard and of course to our listeners because without you guys honestly we would be just talking to ourselves now wouldn't we now thank you very much for listening mark and i will be back with another episode of the Bornyard in no time at all <laughs>